listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally. The cost and opportunities of net zero in Canadian oil is the ground we will cover today. I'm Camilla Sutton, MD in Equity Research, and I am joined by my colleague, Jared Juba, our thematic oil and gas analyst. Jared's work has received a lot of investor attention, and he recently launched his most recent report titled The Outer Limits, Exploring the Cost Opportunity of Canada's Net Zero Pathway, which is what will lay the groundwork for today's conversation. Jared, I'm really pleased you're able to join us today. Welcome back to the Intune podcast. I'm excited to see where this conversation takes us. Why don't we kick it off by having you explain the intention behind your report and the main conclusions that you draw. Sure. Well, well thanks, Camilla, for having me back. Uh, as mentioned, uh, we just published uh, our latest in a series of deep dive thematic reports that evaluate the sustainability efforts and ESG position of Canadian oil producers. We titled this one, The Outer Limits, Exploring the Cost and Opportunity of Canada's Net Zero Pathways partly because the concept of achieving net zero emissions in Canada's oil sands sector remains somewhat of a mystery, I would say, for a lot of investors in terms of the how and what pathways or viable technologies are going to allow companies to get there. But also as producers have begun to better delineate the possible technology solutions, it's exceedingly clear that investment will need to ramp up materially beyond what's routine R&D for the sector and companies will need to accelerate deployment of more impactful emerging technology solutions like carbon capture use and storage or CCUS in order to execute on the collective net zero commitments. I feel it's important uh, here to highlight that the Canadian oil sector has been a continuous leader in research and development and deployment of technology globally in support of progressive environmental goals over time and its efforts clearly are reflected in leading emissions improvements over the past two decades in particular relative to other global producers. And as we have emphasized many times in our past work, we're fairly confident based on the R&D track record and several inherent sustainability advantages of the oil sands production process that Canadian producers are well positioned to execute on net zero and in fact survive in an energy transition world. But this leads us to the other big question of how much investment is going to be needed and how will the incremental cost impact the financial outlook of companies and shareholder returns? So in this latest report, we took a comprehensive look at the hypothetical cost of achieving net zero for the Canadian oil sands sector, largely according to plans of the oil sands pathways partnership and the implication it has on producer free cash flow and shareholder returns over time. And just to summarize the bottom line conclusion, of this work is that while the cost of achieving net zero for the Canadian oil sector is indeed significant, it is actually well within the financial capacity of producers to fund. And importantly, we think without impeding ongoing anticipated growth in cash returns to shareholders via dividends and, and share repurchases. There's a lot there. Let's take a step back for a second here. Can you talk a little bit about the Pathways Partnership Initiatives? Maybe dig into it a bit with what it is, who's behind it, how does it help or guide your work? For sure. So several Canadian producers have actually announced net zero commitments in recent years on their own. Although I would say that that's with fairly limited detail in terms of formal plans or pathways up until now. 
However, roughly a year ago, Canada's top six oil sands producers, so this includes Canadian Natural, Synovus, ConocoPhillips, Imperial, Meg, and Suncor, announced an unprecedented collaborative alliance called the Oil Sands Pathways to Net Zero Initiative, uh, which effectively formalizes the collective goal of achieving net zero emissions by 2050 for the sector, given that these producers make up collectively roughly 95% of production and about 90% of total emissions. The partners have outlined a preliminary technology roadmap to eliminate about 70 million tons per year of carbon dioxide emissions from the oil sands facilities in three phases. This includes 22 million tons per year by 2030 and another 25 million tons per year by 2040. At the center of their strategy is a proposed large-scale carbon capture and transportation trunk line from the Athabasca oil sands region to a storage hub near Cold Lake, Alberta. However, in parallel, the strategy will also leverage ongoing advancements in other technologies aimed at reducing mostly process-related emissions. When we break down the technology drivers that are proposed by the Pathways Plan, what we find is that roughly 30% of emissions reductions over time are expected to come from these process-related actions, so things that they define as process improvements, energy efficiency, uh, electrification or fuel alternatives or fuel switching. And these impacts tend to be earlier on in the plan with the vast majority of cuts being seen before 2040. This is important, we think, because we expect that many of these initiatives are already underway and largely within the scope of the sector's existing routine R&D spending. In other words, much of this may already be embedded into corporate guidance. We do expect that routine R&D efforts are going to have to ramp up or expand to accelerate and maximize their potential impact in these areas. But the ultimate cost of this is fairly minimal overall. The remaining 70% of emissions reductions are intended to come from a mix of direct carbon capture use or storage, or CCUS, emerging technologies, or category that they dub as other levers, many of which actually include emerging CCUS-related technologies like direct air capture and carbon carbonate fuel cells. So CCUS is a dominant lever, potentially making up 70 to 80% of the remaining emissions reductions according to the Pathways Plan. And this has important implications for the methodology that we ultimately chose to estimate the net zero cost for the sector. Interesting. We're going to circle back on a lot of those thoughts in a second. But first, let's take a step back and just talk about the feasibility. You say net zero is feasible, but it will be costly. So can you walk us through what investment will be needed and how it could impact the financial profile of producers? Yes, absolutely. So the investment is significant. In the end, we estimate that all in net zero costs could amount to greater than $130 billion for the sector by 2050 in our base case. This includes about $90 billion in CapEx and $40 billion in related operating costs over time. There are many lingering uncertainties around emerging technology over the long term, particularly their prospective costs. Uh, So we take a simple conservative approach to evaluating the potential costs of net zero. And there are basically two components to this. The first is As mentioned, we assume up to 30% of peak emissions are going to be eliminated by process-related advancements and ongoing R&D over time. This is consistent with the sector's historical track record in terms of emissions improvements over the last two decades. This component, in the end, totals about $14 billion by 2050, or $0.50 per barrel, so it's not all that substantial, as we mentioned. Now, for the second component, for context, on a full sector basis, we include scope two 
or in indirect emissions that are related to production in addition to direct emissions. Uh, there is currently around 76 million tons per year of oil sands related emissions that are going to need to be eliminated to reach true net zero for the sector. And this could potentially reach somewhere upwards of 90 million tons per year if you factor in anticipated growth in production. So there is a lot of work to do here. And even if the 30% of this is dealt with through those process-related R&D emissions uh, reductions that we mentioned, these the unaddressed emissions could still total greater than 60 million tons per year long-term without the introduction of more impactful abatement tools like carbon capture. So for the second component of costs, we assume that the sector must add enough CCUS equivalent capacity over time to address these remaining emissions volumes. And there are a few reasons for this approach. First, will the pathways plan envisions multiple technology avenues. As we mentioned, CCUS again is going to play the lead role as much as 80% of that component. Uh, it is also ideally suited to the concentrated nature of oil sands emissions. And Canada is an established leader in CCUS operations and in storage. Importantly though, CCUS is also the most established disruptive solution that we have uh, that we also have good precedent costs for. And we think that emerging alternatives to CCS are going to need to be lower on the marginal cost curve in order to compete with it. So from this perspective, we think that basing long-term net zero costs on a CCUS equivalent capacity basis and then using conservative precedent project cost assumptions is a reasonable approach to stress test the sector's financial capability. In our case, we reference actual costs from Shell's Quest CCS project in Alberta as the basis for our model, which was conservatively built with an implied cost of around $125 per ton back in 2015. There are many indications that next generation CCS projects could have costs 20 to 30% or possibly even lower costs, which implies total net zero costs could be as low as 90 to $110 billion. That said, we think it's prudent to assume that the more conservative cost assumptions, given that longer term, harder to abate emissions are likely further out on the cost curve. This is a good segue into the crux of the topic. And I think the second part of the question, which is how does this impact the financial profile of producers? And our conclusion is that while $130 billion sounds overwhelming, it actually equates to an average discounted cost of just $2.50 per barrel out to 2050. But more importantly, our work shows that these costs are well within the expected surplus cash flow capability of the sector to fund without sacrificing planned growth in returns to investors. So for context, we expect costs are going to reach potentially $18 billion by 2030, $56 billion by 2040, and ultimately $130 billion cumulatively by 2050. But by comparison, we forecast corporate surplus free cash flow to reach $150 billion by 2030 alone based on current forward commodity prices, despite the assumption of ongoing growth in dividends and share buybacks. Extrapolating further out, implied net zero free cash flow could be as much as $350 billion by 2050. So substantial spare capacity, I would say, to handle expanding technology investment over time. So you highlight a lot of costs here. Are, are any of these specific cost considerations for the oil sands that other producers don't face? Yeah, there, there are definitely some important gives and takes to consider when thinking about a CCUS build out for the oil sands in particular. Like most technologies, there is no one size fits all solution generally. And the technical viability and related costs could vary significantly by application. First, 
it's worth highlighting again, just that the oil sands production processes, unlike many other conventional sources of oil globally, we think are actually ideally suited to carbon capture, specifically given uh, its large scale and concentrated nature of emission sources. And they're derived mostly from cleaner burning natural gas combustion. So from this perspective, we think a larger proportion of emissions may be able to be addressed uh, overall and potentially with cost savings related to economies of scale, especially around transportation and storage. But there are some negative cost offsets to consider as well. So first, costs associated with carbon capture are complex and can vary according to several technical factors, uh, most notably the purity and CO2 concentration of the emission source. And while high purity hydrogen production in the oil sands could account for much of the early low-hanging fruit that's dealt with in phase one of the pathways plan, we do expect that the vast majority of emissions long-term are going to come from more complex post-combustion sources, which likely have higher price tags to address. Secondly, while Alberta has a wealth of high-quality CO2 storage available, there are no large-scale options within the Athabasca region itself. So the majority of oil sand CO2 is going to require long-distance transport, about 400 kilometers by pipeline to an area south of Cold Lake in Alberta, where the majority of large-scale storage resources is more accessible. And this will add to transportation costs, obviously. And then in addition to this, some oil sands projects, including in-situ facilities, have multi-point emission sources, which will need to be gathered for transportation. And so this could add to gathering related infrastructure costs. Jared, do you highlight carbon capture use and storage or CCUS as the primary lever to achieve net zero? Can you expand on how you see this build out of capacity happening? Maybe talk about how long does it take? What does capacity look like today? What does it look like in the future? Absolutely. So currently total oil related CCS capacity in Alberta is roughly two and a half million tons per year from three facilities. Canadian Natural Resources is the sole uh, owner and operator of CCS interest so far among the Pathways partners. As mentioned, we think that unaddressed emissions could still top 60 million tons per year long-term. So it implies the need for about at least 64 million tons per year of CCS-related capacity. It could take several years in upfront planning and to establish the CO2 transportation storage network from Fort McMurray to Cold Lake. But our model assumes the industry will be will be pressured to add capacity as early as by 2026. And this ramps directionally in line with the pathways targets for CCUS and other emerging levers over time. Pathways plan specifically envisions eight and a half million tons per year of CCS capacity by 2030, about 15 million tons by 2040, and anywhere between 30 to 40 million tons per year by 2050, which equates to about 40 to 50 million tons per year of implied capacity on an industry or total industry basis. For our modeling purposes, in terms of costs, um, we assume CCS and equivalent technology capacity uh, ramps up to about 30 million tons per year by 2040, and then the 64 million tons per year uh, by 2050. Wow. So Jared, let's switch course a little bit here. What's the role of government in achieving net zero in Canadian oil and gas? Well, you hit on a very controversial but important topic in our discussion here. There has been an influx of industry critics and lobby groups since the Pathways Partnership Forum that claim industry should fund its own way and that government shouldn't be involved. And we strongly disagree with this for several reasons. And indeed, we think government policy support is necessary 
and reasonable to promote widespread investment in these more impactful net zero technologies, while at the same time preserving investor returns and confidence. So first, uh, important to note that CCUS projects are simply uneconomic in Canada at precedent costs, and this risks severely impairing investor returns, in our opinion. We estimate that the pathways buildup, for example, would generate returns of just 4% at carbon prices of $170 per tonne by 2030 without government support. And this is simply unjustifiable to investors in our minds, particularly in the current commodity price environment where projected corporate returns are going to be north of 20% in coming years here. Secondly, a severe lack of assurance or guarantee around the future value of carbon credits generated by these projects, which is essentially the revenue source, continues to be a significant roadblock to investment. Even though federal carbon pricing in Canada is scheduled to rise to $170 per tonne, as mentioned, by 2030, there's zero guarantee that the value of carbon credits and secondary markets will be anywhere close to this as offset markets are likely going to become more saturated in a net zero world where all industrial processes are generating credits. Third, for Canada to uphold its international reputation, I would say, as a global leader in environment uh, and to avoid eroding investor confidence, we think it must provide incentives for industrial projects that are at least competitive with what other jurisdictions are doing globally. And our work shows that many countries active in CCS do support majority funding of projects. In fact, from our review of 82 global CCS projects in this report, there was only a single one project without any publicly disclosed form of financial support. And many projects out there are receiving as much as two thirds of their funding from government in some form. Finally, there is the important issue of long-term oil price uncertainty. One of the primary goals of our work with this report was to determine the sector's financial capability and flexibility to fund the full cost of net zero should it be necessary. And even though we conclude that net zero costs are within the sector's capacity to fund, assuming $70 Brent at current to future prices, considerable uncertainty does remain, which obviously spells risk to the viability of CCUS project returns long-term. And then this leads us to another important element of the story. There is a highly anticipated Canadian CCUS investment tax credit that's expected to be released shortly with the Canadian federal budget. And while the extent and mechanics of the investor tax credit aren't known at this point, our expectation is that it should provide a substantial level of upfront capital recovery to improve the certainty of project economics. And we think that could be a catalyst to kickstart the next wave of major technology investment by the Pathways Group. So in terms of technology, your report suggests that there could be an opportunity in technology investment towards net zero. Can you expand on this? Well, sure. So there is upside to the cost story for sure. For conservatism up until now, we really only talked about total cost of net zero without considering potential income that CCS projects could generate. However, in reality, CCS and other carbon abatement projects can generate meaningful revenue from the sale of carbon credits into offset markets. So we estimate revenue from our hypothetical CCS buildup, for example, could actually total $90 billion by 2050 based on proposed federal carbon prices, which would largely offset precedent project costs and, and vastly improve, improve returns. As mentioned, incentives are also necessary to drive investment-worthy returns on projects. With modest cost improvements, we estimate projects are still largely 
uneconomic with IRRs of between 4 to 8% without government incentives. However, with a basic 50% investor tax credit, for example, we think that project returns could increase to 15 to 20% and potentially higher with even more lucrative incentives that we've seen in other countries. So this results in a much more reasonable and competitive project level return for companies to justify expanding investment. And what does net zero look like if oil prices suddenly or in the future drop significantly? Yeah, that's another great question. And clearly, there's still considerable debate and uncertainty around long-term uh, oil supply and demand and its implications for commodity prices. Our team's perspective is that global oil prices will remain stronger than the market generally expects, at least over the near term to 2030, in light of record underinvestment and supply that we see happening. But of course, we appreciate that the alternative argument can be made given the mounting pressures we're seeing on companies to reduce fossil fuel use. And 2050 is certainly a long way out. So in our analysis of our report, we did actually test the free cash flow capacity of the sector to fund net zero costs under considerably lower oil prices beyond 2025. And what we concluded from our analysis is that a Brent oil price of approximately $55 per barrel is needed long term to fund the all in costs of net zero in the most conservative scenario where we assume no incentives or revenue from the sale of credits for carbon capture and sequestration. However, less than $50 per barrel is sufficient when you include a base assumption of a 50% investor tax credit and something between $45 to $50 per barrel may be needed when you include potential revenue from the sale of carbon credits and or the assumption of lower technology costs. So you can see that even in significantly lower long-term crude oil price scenarios, the sector generates significant free cash flow and we think can cover the costs of, of net zero just fine. So any quick thoughts on where Canadian oil companies are in terms of their path to net zero versus global companies? Yeah, so oil sands production generally does have a higher carbon intensity level relative to global peers. That's no argument, but there are companies and projects that have below average carbon intensities and the track record of emissions reductions. We estimate some 45% decrease since 1995 and 22% since just 2013. This far exceeds that of global producers over the last two decades. Supporting this, of course, Canadian producers have led investment in research and development of technology deployment over the past decade as well. In addition, as I alluded to earlier, CCS really well suited to the large scale concentrated nature of oil sands emission sources, whereas it may be more difficult to introduce these technologies like this into more sporadic or spread out conventional oil drilling operations. So from our perspective, the question here is, is less about you know, where are we today and more about where the sector is headed. And there's a lot of reasons to believe that the leading technology focus of the oil sands producers will continue to support a faster pace of improvement versus global peers ahead. Jared, we could talk a long time. You have a lot of knowledge to share, but we have to wrap this up. So maybe to conclude, can you summarize the three most important points that you wish investors could take away from your work? Sure, I guess I would re-emphasize the following three points. So first, yes, the cost of achieving net zero using technology is going to be significant and there are a lot of unknowns in the equation. However, we have a reasonably conservative basis upon which to assess these costs given the precedence of carbon capture and storage projects, uh, which is an established technology with fairly well understood costs uh, and will make up the vast majority of remaining emissions curves. Second, despite the cost potentially stacking up to over $130 billion, 
We expect that Canadian producers could easily fund the challenge within surplus free cash flow, but also without impeding on growth in returns to shareholders. And this is the case even at much lower oil prices than is currently reflected by the forward strip. And there's potential upside in terms of corporate returns from CCS related uh, carbon revenue. And then third, despite industry's ability to fund net zero technically, government policy we think is sorely needed in Canada to, to help improve project returns to an investable level and make this roadmap a reality. And this just leads me to the final thought I'll leave with, which is, you know, why is this important now? Well, as we said, a federal investor tax credit for CCS is anticipated to be released very shortly. We're fairly optimistic that it could be uh, meaningfully supportive. Meanwhile, the Pathways Partnership has been waiting in the wings for this announcement, but has been very busy in the background fortifying its action plans. So bottom line is we think that this could be a catalyst to finally kickstart the next wave of technology investment by the sector and potentially start to de-risk the net zero pathway for investors. Jared, thank you for joining us today. We certainly covered a lot of ground on Canada's oil's path to net zero. That was Jared Juba, BMO Capital Markets thematic oil and gas analyst. BMO Capital Markets is proud to be able to deliver analysis of upcoming sector trends that will prove important to clients' investment decisions. If you enjoyed today's Intune podcast, please do subscribe and rate it. Thanks for listening to Intune, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. Or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure.